Hi, I'm Shay, and welcome to Kombucha and Color. Kombucha and Color is a weekly podcast hosted by me, Shay Dyer, a yoga teacher and creative graphic designer, and Anna Marsh, a functional medicine practitioner and women's health coach with a love of all things health and fitness. This podcast is here to inspire women to embrace health and live life bright. You can find more about me, Shay, at shaydyer.com. You can find out more about me, Anna, at annamarshnutrition.co.uk. And each week we will be bringing you inspiring content for a healthier and happier mind, body, heart, and soul. Hi, it's Shay here. Take a moment right now to reflect on how you measure a successful day for yourself. For a long time, I measured the success of my day based on the number of Instagram likes or followers I gained, the money I made, or the amount of love or praise I received. Whilst these are wonderful things to desire, using them as a metric of success left me feeling really depleted. It was only after some honest soul-searching that I've truly shifted my metrics so that now I define my success on whether I'm able to answer yes to the following three questions. Have I moved my body today? Have I breathed or sat in stillness today? Have I created something today? Move, breathe, create. When I focus on these as measures of a successful day, I am able to really slow down, get out of the busyness of my head, back into my body, and manifest things from a really authentic place. What's even crazier is that when I focus on these three things, all the other shiny pennies the money, the praise, the followers, the likes, they all flow into my life with such ease as a result of me being in an energized, calm, creative, and aligned state. It's completely changed my outlook on life, and it's made me a much happier person. I really want to share all my tools with you so that you too can manifest the things you want in your life from this energized, calm, creative, and aligned state and feel really happy whilst doing it. Come and join me at movebreathecreate.com where you will find ways to energize your body and calm your mind along with creative tutorials and techniques to get you into that creative manifesting state. Most yoga studio monthly memberships cost upwards of £100 a month and you can join me over at movebreathecreate.com where you can find not only yoga practices and tutorials but also workbook downloads, community, meditations, soul work, journal ideas, creative prompts, and inspiration, all for less than £10 a month. It's like your own personal yoga retreat space. Come connect back to your body, mind, and soul with me at movebreathecreate.com. I look forward to seeing you inside of the community. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Kombucha and Color. Thank you for joining us today. Um, My name is Shay. And as always, I have the wonderful Anna with me today. And we are once again in our um, Fortress of Pillows. So we're hoping that you can hear us loud and clear. Anna, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing good today. Um, We were actually just talking before we started recording that the past few days have been a little bit tough. And if anybody remembers the washing machine analogy that you shared a few episodes ago, I've been hanging out in the washing machine for a few days, getting clean, like banging on the door, being like, get me out of here. But I've managed to crawl out of the washing machine now. So I'm, I'm actually feeling pretty good today. And I'm just happy to be talking to you. 
Oh, so for those who maybe didn't catch that episode or who are tuning in for the first time on this show, the washing machine of worry is this negative spin cycle that we get ourselves trapped in. And it's a mental thing that once we have a negative thought or something that is tagging at our minds or pulling us down, we just end up in this washing machine going round and round, getting more consumed by this negative downward spiral of thoughts, feelings, emotions, and it just goes round and round and round. And it's very difficult for us to get out of the washing machine. So I think it's two episodes. Super hard. Super, super hard. So depending when the show goes, I think we'll have to put an episode. Episode 60. Episode 60. So you can go back and have a listen to that about the washing machine of worry if you are interested in learning the four steps of how to get yourself out of that washing machine of worry. Um, But Anna, how did you get yourself out of the washing machine of worry? Well, for me, I actually, I teach yoga on a Wednesday night. I teach two classes at the One for All Hot Yoga Studio, which is in Bournemouth, local to me. And I was saying to Jay before we started recording that like, I just feel like teaching yoga heals me. One of my friends came to the first class because I do two classes back to back. And she was the very, very first person to arrive. And when I opened the door for her, I knew she was going to say, oh, how are you? And I was just like, you know, when someone asks you how you are and you feel like you might just burst into tears if you say anything thing. If any word comes out of your mouth, it will be like, come hand in hand with like blubber. I was like, that was my kind of emotional state going into the class. And then after just teaching the first class and then getting ready for the second class, I felt like I was just a completely different person. It's just amazing, you know, how being in a yoga class or in this case, me teaching the yoga class just really changes so much for me. And I don't know if it's just shifting my focus to something else and to other people and this kind of higher purpose and creating a amazing experience for them. Or if it's the energetic shifts because everybody's there and you have that collective group energy, or it is just really one of my soul's callings. And when I'm fulfilling that, I'm being rewarded by the universe. Who knows? But it, it really just does make me come alive. Mm. I definitely resonate with this idea of shifting your focus. So if you are in a negative space or you're feeling a little bit low or down, one of the best things that you can do is to help somebody. So that's exactly turning the, turning the attention and turning your focus, your mind away from the stuff that's going on internally with you to something that's outside of you and maybe to help other people or to shift your focus there. So yeah, I love that. So this episode, what we're going to be chatting about is the keto diet. Um, dum, dum, dum. Dum, so Anna, you have been um, recently going through a little healing adventure. And one of the things that you have started implementing into your day-to-day lifestyle changes is a keto diet. So we thought we'd just discuss a little bit about what the keto diet is, how it works, and why you are using it to help optimize your health and your energy at this point. So take it away. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, I must have just like to fill you in on the background. Is I just recently bought a book because a new cookbook because I've been doing this um, or following a ketogenic meal plan or food plan or diet or whatever terminology you'd like to use now for maybe the past six, seven, eight weeks. I've kind of lost track. And I was kind of looking through this book and we're always looking for ideas for podcast episodes. So I said to Shay, oh, we should do a podcast on the ketogenic diet. And then I said, but don't worry, you can just interview me. I'll do the talking and you can just double check that everything is understandable to the listeners. So that's, that's Shay's role here today. <laughs> so let me first start with my first interview question. <laughs> what prompted you to start the ketogenic diet in the first place? 
So it's really interesting. It might actually be helpful if we just backtrack a little bit and look at what it is. So the ketogenic diet is essentially a high fat, low carb, moderate protein diet that helps your body shift away from burning glucose as a primary energy source. And essentially what happens is the liver makes ketone bodies from fatty acids, which then can be used in the body's fat burning energy processes. So they're sort of substrates which help the body to make energy from fat. And in doing so, we can you know, fuel our body with a very, very small amount of glucose. And so why this was important for me specifically is because I was showing up with some signs and symptoms of inflammation, which we've touched on actually several times in various podcasts when we've talked about the immune system and when we've talked about metabolic flexibility, but ultimately flu-like symptoms without the flu. So foggy brain, low energy, maybe a poor physical performance or difficulty, you know, sometimes even just like inappropriate fatigue, walking up a flight of stairs, aches and pains. So those are the types of symptoms that I was presenting with. And I think working, maybe it's obviously because I'm working with people in my business who aren't fully well. That's why they're working with me in the first place. Very often we have, um, there's a lot of people with these, what I call smoldering or low grade inflammatory symptoms. But if you go to the doctor, because there's no disease specifically, no disease condition, nobody really knows what to do with you. And there can be many underlying causes that would create such symptoms. And ultimately, my job as a functional medicine practitioner is to help my clients find the root cause. But for me specifically, I'm still not actually 100% sure what the root cause is. There's some theory that it could be down to gut dysfunction. It could be due to long-term stress, inappropriate um, amounts of carbohydrates in the diet. And so this is a really common one for a lot of people because the Western, typical Western diet is generally fast, convenient, high in carbohydrates, high in refined carbohydrates. And this can lend itself to the body relying on glucose as a fuel source. And when what we don't use, we lose. So if we're always constantly eating and constantly eating a high carbohydrate diet inappropriate for our activity needs, then the body can almost like forget to use those fat burning processes. It's like, well, we don't need this. So let's just pack up shop and take a holiday. And then the consequence is that we can get mitochondrial dysfunction. So dysfunction of the, the mitochondria, which are the fat burning machinery in the cell. But this over-reliance on glucose can then create loss of metabolic flexibility and feed into inflammatory conditions. And I know this sounds weird, like this for me was just like a very big aha light bulb moment. But we know that the muscles, for example, have insulin receptors, insulin receptors and glucose receptors so that we can get energy into our muscles to, when we exercise. But it never, and this might sound really dumb, but it never occurred to me that the immune system is made up of immune cells. And just because these cells aren't like a mass of this is a quadricep muscle or you know this is a the femur bone or something like this these cells travel through the body to the site and location which they're needed and they also have insulin and glucose receptors which means that if our immune system is active 
what can happen is that the immune system can, or the body can make the muscle cells insulin resistant. It can affect energy, which is going to the brain and our cognitive system to prioritize the energy that is then getting taken up by the immune system. So continuing to eat this very high carbohydrate diet when we are inflamed is almost like throwing gasoline on the fire. And is that something, because that surprises me because I would say that you're someone who is very um, conscious of your eating habits and what you are tracking and how you're eating. Is that something that resonates with you in terms of having a high carbohydrate diet compared to the activity that you're doing? Yeah, so that is actually a very, very interesting question because I would agree with you. It's like I, prior, obviously through the fatigue that I've been experiencing, I feel like my, my workouts and my ability to weight train and really push my body physically, it's been kind of like grinding to a halt. So my activity levels have declined quite rapidly, at least in the past six months. But prior to that, I would still say I was pretty physically active, walking, lifting weights, practicing yoga, doing the occasional water sports and things like that in the summer. And I have a generally good diet. And I'm also not overweight. I'm actually quite lean more on the like athletic side of body composition. So I think that's like where people like myself can often get missed is because you just look at this person, you say, good diet, good body, active, getting enough sleep. I had so many stress management practices, you know, yoga, meditation, time in nature, yoga nidra, yin yoga, like all the, all the things, like almost too many things. And then you go, well, why do you feel unwell? And I think that that's, that is what a lot of people can experience is because nobody knows what to do with someone like that. But if we dig a little bit deeper, I think maybe because I was lean and so active, and this is just hypothesis, it's not confirmed, because I was so lean and so active, maybe I was like, I can get away with these sugars. So like cake, chocolate, those types of things, and maybe eating too much of them. Maybe also we know that when we are in a state of high stress, the body switches to glucose metabolism. And even though I had these, um, have a lot of stress management practices, I developed those practices because I had to, because prior to that, I was constantly in a state of stress. So what we're seeing now might not be something that's developed in the past two years. The symptoms have started to show in the past two years, but maybe it was something that was developing across the past 10 years and and now it's starting to show. And we look at that as well with the diagnosis of type 2 diabetes, which is the you know epitome of this metabolic inflexibility the loss of tolerance of glucose, is that most doctors will diagnose type 2 diabetes when your fasting blood sugar becomes higher than a certain range. But we know that fasting measurements are always going to look the very best because it's when we haven't eaten anything or taken in any fuel for maybe 12 hours. So sometimes the symptoms start to show initially with insulin we will see a rise in insulin as insulin tries to compensate for how much glucose someone is taking in, maybe even a decade before the signs start to show in someone's blood glucose. And then in addition to that, postprandial glucose and insulin will become elevated, whereas 
fasting glucose and insulin are the last things to change. And fasting insulin, which most doctors don't test for, will change first. And then fasting glucose, which is the diagnostic tool, is the very, very last thing to change. So what that means is that a lot of people are developing imbalances 10 years before they eventually get a diagnosis. And then there's 10 years of damage, which actually needs reversing. So in a way, I'm super grateful because my fatigue symptoms and my inability to exercise, if I wasn't exercising as hard as I was, I would never have known that there was a problem. So in a way, I'm almost grateful that I couldn't do the thing that I loved because that was a big red flag for me to dig deeper. And then I started measuring my postprandial glucose and worked out, okay, there's actually a problem here. My, my body is not responding well to what I'm eating, even though I'm not eating that much or that badly. Wow, that is like a lot. <laughs> I think this might be a long episode. <laughs> so, okay, so then to take to take the sort of load off of allowing the body to metabolize glucose and taking that pressure off the system in the glucose way, you switch to a diet that is higher in fats and less high on carbohydrates in order to create that little bit more of a balance. Yeah, that's exactly it. So for me personally, what I did is I didn't go fully into the ketogenic diet. And that's quite an important thing to say because there isn't, there isn't, I guess, a ketogenic switch where we go, okay, eat this, eat that. Now you're making ketones. It's something that you have to train your body to do. Now, for me, I think at the time that I started this, I was eating maybe 120, 125, maybe 150 grams of carbohydrates in any given day, which that is actually quite low already. There will be people who are listening to this podcast who may be having 200, maybe even 300, depending on where they are with their current dietary intake. So for me to jump down to what we would normally look at for ketosis, which is around about 50 grams of carbohydrates a day, it wasn't a big jump, but I still did it slowly. So I went from 100, 125, 100 or so down to 75 and then down to 50. And in that time, Time, there was still adaptation that had to take place because if your body isn't used to working these systems, they're a little bit oily, they're a little bit, or not oily, they're a little bit rusty. If you think of like the car that you don't drive and then the battery goes flat and you need to like jump start it and then, you know, put some oil in and it's like creaking down the road and then eventually, you know, things start to flow. The same thing happens with your body. So what a lot of people experience when they start or initiate this change in their carbohydrate consumption is something that we call the keto flu. It's really just your whole body kind of reorganizing itself as you start to make these changes. So sometimes people can experience more fatigue than before. And I would say that my personally, my cognitive function got better but my my physical energy got a little bit lower first, just noticing little things like we live in on the third floor of a block of flats and I take the stairs. So just walking up the stairs in the beginning, I was like, sure, <laughs> this is hard work. 
there can be also maybe an increase in cravings, maybe some headache, maybe starting to feel a little bit of those flu-like symptoms, aches and pains. For me, sometimes like a little bit of a sore throat or something like that, maybe some changes in digestion because whenever we change diet, there can be changes in digestion because we're influencing the gut microbiome as well. There is almost a, a period of things usually get worse before they get better. And for different people, it, it will maybe, some people can get really bad symptoms depending on what their metabolic flexibility was like prior to initiating the diet. My symptoms were mild, um, I think, in comparison to what some people have experienced. And that's maybe more just of a testament of how much carbohydrate I was eating when I started. But ultimately, getting down to this point where you can then start to measure ketones in your bloodstream. That is the sign that you are in ketosis. So for me personally, I initially just started out measuring blood sugar and then I was like, oh, this is quite fun. So I decided I would get a ketone, blood ketone monitor, um, which I ordered from America and start measuring blood ketones. And when your ketones are 0.5 or greater, in your bloodstream, then you know you're in ketosis. But we want to make sure that if you are measuring blood ketones, you're also measuring blood glucose because you don't want to have very high blood glucose and very high ketones. That shows something is wrong, but you want to have blood sugar in the healthy range and then 0.5 plus up to three millimole per liter of ketones in your bloodstream. If your blood ketones are going too high, then your body is actually not using them for energy, which is why you want to do the ketogenic diet in the first place. So that's where the checking and measuring can come in just to make sure that everything is safe and in order. So is the keto diet, is that something that everybody should be thinking about or is it only specialized if you are perhaps favoring the glucose running in your body or glucose, or glucose metabolizing in your body as a fuel source? Should everyone be doing it? I don't know. Um, you know, different people are going to have different physiological makeup. And um, some people may handle large amounts of carbohydrates really great. Um, so it's really ultimately comes down to, I think, the individual health. That saying is, I do think there are a lot of people walking around with dysregulated blood sugar. So inappropriate elevations in that two hour postprandial blood sugar. Which postprandial, is, sorry, what do you mean by postprandial? Two hours after you've had a meal. So why don't we just say that? That's so much easier for us I to know. just understand. <laughs> it just feels a bit long-winded, like two hours after eating. I think that there may be people... <laughs> postprandial and after eating, after eating is the same number of syllables. <laughs> See, this is why we have Shay on the show to make it simple. <laughs> um, yes. So now you've thrown me off my chain of thought, but I, was, <laughs> I, I can. I postprandial. You're postprandial. Yeah, postprandial. <laughs> so I think now, and this is where you know we've talked about having these experiences and how they help to these challenges help to shape your growth. And I can now see through this experience of myself, I've now become so much more aware of the importance of getting my clients to test this for themselves. And I think that there are probably a lot of people who are seeing elevated blood sugar two hours after they've eaten. <laughs> 
And it's not being picked up by anyone because the doctors don't measure for it. And so what essentially is happening is we're waiting for things to get really bad until there's a problem that can be diagnosed. Okay, now you have type 2 diabetes. Now, we, now we've got a pill we can give you. But nobody's interested until you get to that point. So does everybody need to be keto? No, but I, or not necessarily, but would it be helpful for everybody to maybe get themselves a little glucometer from Boots and check their blood sugar two hours after eating and see if it's the same as what it was before they ate or if it's still drastically elevated? That could be something very helpful that most people could do. Okay, so that's an interesting little thing. And you can get it from Boots, the little glucose. Yeah, Boots or Amazon. The one that I personally started using with is the AccuCheck Aviva. I've got no affiliation with them at all. It's just the one that I got. And the, I usually just say to people that the most expensive thing is to buy the strips, the, the glucose measuring strips. So if you're buying a monitor, look at the prices of the strips because that, that will be your continuous expense if you continue to measure. So buying a monitor which is reliable but has cheaper strips will make it more you know, cost-effective. Each week, we get incredible feedback about our episodes of Kombucha and Color. We know our show is touching, inspiring, and helping hundreds of women, and we would like to reach even more. Can you help? You can help other women find the inspiration that you have found if you head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. If you screenshot your review and share it on Instagram stories or your Instagram feed tagging myself, Anna, Shay, or Kombucha and Color, we'll send you a wonderful restful yoga nidra practice to download so you can find some peace and calm in your day or a better night's sleep at night. Additionally, everyone who enters and leaves a review and shares it on Instagram will be put into a lucky prize draw to win a copy of my Beat the Bloat guide and Shay's yoga guide. You can love your body from the inside out with 174 pages, including over 100 pages of recipes, which walk you through my 28-day digestive reset process. This is perfect if you want to reset your body, address any unwanted health symptoms, or support your skin, hormones, energy, and digestion. Shay's 173-page yoga guide includes 116 pages of detailed pose analysis. It will give you all the tools you need to teach yourself yoga so you can sequence, practice, and flow safely in your very own home. Remember, all you need to do is go to iTunes, leave a five-star review, screenshot the review, and share it on Instagram stories or your Instagram feed tagging myself, Anna underscore Marsh underscore nutrition, Shay at Indie Yoga Life, or Kombucha and Color, Kombucha underscore and underscore color. Head on over and do that right now before you forget, and then your yoga nidra practice will be on its way. And so other than like a data measuring system, I know that sometimes people have said if you are relying solely on glucose as your metabolizing source, that you might have these really big spikes in feeling really hangry or like suddenly you have a blood sugar level drop and you feel faint or you're like, you have to eat right now or the body is going to like shut down. Um, So are there other symptoms that are perhaps not data rich that we could maybe look out for that could show us to point us in the direction of this? 
Yeah. So, I mean, you've listed some of the main ones, which is that the inability to go without eating, maybe feeling very sleepy after a meal, maybe yeah, noticing changes in mood, noticing reliance on carbohydrates, any inflammatory conditions. I would also think like if you have an autoimmune condition, if you're suffering from PCOS, I've been working with a woman recently um, on fertility and she's been going through all these investigations with the doctors and no one has thought to check her blood sugar. And um, she's coming up with blood sugar, which is in pre-diabetic ranges. So, you know, infertility would be another one. Just, I think if there's anything going wrong with your body that you know isn't quite right, this is low-hanging fruit. Mm. So if, if you do have anything that's not quite right, not 100%, it's worth checking this out. Other things would be headaches, poor quality sleep, falling asleep at night, and then waking just like an hour or two after you've fallen asleep, maybe because your blood sugar has dropped. Those are just a few things to look out for. And I think what's so important about that is having this knowledge base of yourself and where your body is presently, because unless you take the time to slow down, tune in, how am I feeling? What's my energy like today? How, what symptoms am I presenting? Do I feel tired? Do I feel foggy brain? And that's really the most important part is, is being able to slow down, perhaps journal on it or take a yoga class where you're actually forcing yourself to tune inwards that can give you that space to say, okay, this is my baseline for today. How do I feel in comparison tomorrow or in two months time or at this time of my cycle or after I've eaten a high sugar meal or whatever it is. So yeah, that's, it's, it's a practice of, of listening to your body. That's the important part. Yeah. And I, I would say that I ignored my body for so long in many ways, I would say not completely because there were, there were some things I was paying attention to, but I also think I was very sneaky or there was a part of me that was very sneaky that chose not to pay attention to certain things because confronting them was scary. So watch out for being your own, getting in your own way. Yeah, exactly. So I know in South Africa, there's Tim Noakes, he's big on the Banting diet, which is very much high fat and protein. And what is the difference between the Banting diet and the ketogenic diet? Is it ketogenic including just, it's including some carbohydrates or what is the main so without knowing the exact ins and outs of the, the Banting diet, I would say that they're probably very similar, if not the same thing. Specifically, how I've been approaching this diet is to actually take my protein to the lower end of the scale. So I've been using 0.8 grams per kilogram to like 1, 1.2 grams per kilogram body weight of, for protein intake. So what that should technically be is between 50 and, and 70 grams. Technically, it should be about around the 50 gram point, but every day I eat and I just can't seem to get it any lower than 70. So I'm just going with it. I'm like, that's close enough. I would assume that the Banting diet is maybe a little bit more meat heavy, especially in South Africa, where you have all that amazing game meat. And it's obviously like quite a strong meat culture with braai and bultong and drovos and all those yummy things. But personally, I've reduced my protein. And what that's actually meant for me is that I've been eating a lot less protein than what I used to. And it's it's the equivalent of a couple of eggs a day, maybe a piece of fish. Um, some days I might not even have the fish. And I've been eating some beans and lots of nuts and seeds and the protein you get in things like broccoli and kale and spinach and those types of foods. So 
I've actually just really been loving it because for a long time I've wanted to reduce my meat consumption for, I guess, more sort of like spiritual reasons or, you know, just like, and, you know, animals and things like that, especially since we've got cats, I just felt like I was much more connected to animals generally. And that's kind of made me feel a bit funny about my meat consumption, but I always also felt like I needed to have this to regulate my blood sugar. So there was already this little clue that my blood sugar was a bit off, but I was using high amounts of protein to regulate it. Whereas what I've done through this approach is switched to using high amounts of fat to regulate it and reducing the carbohydrates. So it's really helped me see like it's uh, like change that limiting belief that I need to have a lot of protein in my diet. And it's not that I needed to have a lot of protein in my diet. I needed to find a way to stabilize my blood sugar. And I've learned another way that I can do that now. So let's run us through a typical day in Anna's diet from breakfast to dinner. What does it look like? So breakfast, well, the first thing I have each day is actually just a coffee and I put a little bit of coconut cream in that. So the idea with your fats is the fats are one thing that don't really spike your blood sugar if they do very marginally. So um, whereas even most people know that carbohydrates can spike blood sugar, but even high amounts of protein can too. Hence the reason for the lower protein intake in this specific approach. So I usually have a black coffee with a little bit of coconut cream and that's what we would call dirty fasting. So it's not a complete fast, but it's a dirty. dirty. <laughs> it's dirty. And then so... Um, and what time is that around? Uh, it's usually when I wake up, which could be like any time, six or about six or seven-ish in the morning. Um, so that would still be my fasting within my fasting window. And on any given day, I would probably fast for up to 16 hours. So it's depending on my schedule and when I can eat and what I've got going on with clients. And if I'm working late the night before, then I eat late, that all affects it. So there's no hard and fast rules. It's flexible, but it's anywhere between 12 and 16 hours. I try to do more 16 hours than 12, but if it has to be 12, it's 12. And I never like force myself. So if I'm feeling hungry, I don't like force myself to keep on fasting to hit a number that I just honor what my body needs in that moment. Um, so 16 hours, then I'll have a brunch slash breakfast, which has mostly been just like a gigantic salad with lots of color, lots of ingredients, lots of nuts and seeds, either some edamame beans or a little bit of smoked salmon or a little, um, anchovies or, or something fishy or a couple of eggs. And then I don't have lunch anymore. I might just have a little bit of almond nut butter or some form of nut butter to keep me going if I feel like a snack. And I'll be honest, I'd say that's probably more a comfort snack just to break up the day than a I need to eat kind of snack. And then I'll have a early dinner if that's possible, unless I'm teaching yoga or something like that. And that would be just a massive plate of greens. So at the moment, I love just frying up spinach, kale, uh, pak choy, spring greens, just make like a, I have like a, you know, those big stir fry woks you get. I have a whole stir fry wok filled with greens just to myself. <laughs> but when you cook them, they do kind of reduce down in size. So it's, it's about like a half a plate of greens, but like really piled quite high um, with like a piece of fish or sometimes I do chicken livers with a bit of like low carb seed bread or something like that. So that that's kind of like a day in the life of Anna Marsh, maybe a 
piece of dark chocolate, something like that. And then what I've been playing around with once a week is doing an extended fast. So I've been building up obviously from the 16 hours, then I did an 18 hour, then I did a 19 and a half hour. And then this past week just gone, I've done a 22 hour fast. So that means I'm not eating anything. I think I had dinner at like 4.30 and then broke my fast at 2.30. And in that window, Dinner just at 4.30 p.m. And then yeah. only eat again 2.30 p.m. The next day, yeah. That's impressive. So, <laughs> you know, if you had asked me to do that two months ago, I would just be like, I can't. I just can't. But it's understanding that I've spent the past eight weeks building up to this point mm. by working on my metabolic flexibility. Because we've had this conversation on the show, I think when we did the metabolic flexibility episode where we said, you've got enough energy in your body to run 42 marathons. It's just your body's, can your body access it or not? So Mm -hmm. using this ketogenic approach has helped me to access my 42 marathon energy, energy reserves. And it's very interesting that when I broke that 22 hour fast, the reason why I broke it was because I needed to eat because I was going out to see a friend. But if I had just been at home and I could have chosen to wait another two hours, another four hours, I probably could have just kept on going because you, you get used to it and your body is, your body is feeling itself off of ketones. It's that inability to go without food that comes when we lack metabolic flexibility. So I wouldn't just say to a new client, I think you should fast for 24 hours every Sunday because that would set them up for failure, right? Mm -hmm. I've been setting myself up for success by working on this flexibility each week, slowly extending the length of my fast. And if it was a day that for whatever reason I was more stressed or I hadn't slept or my cycle and my hormones were, were playing havoc with my body and I just really felt like I needed to eat, then I would eat. But it's, it's also that listening, that honoring yourself, which is important. Mm-hmm. So let's say, for example, someone was training for a marathon, a.k.a. Shea. Are, are you asking for a friend? <laughs> I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> um, so then with that ability to be able to access those stored fuel sources be useful in that training process, why else would you need it in, in uh, this ability to, to use fat as the fuel source? Using fat as a fuel source in the case of disease processes, it's about taking energy away from the immune system because the immune system has those insulin glucose receptor sites. And interesting fact, every time the immune system switches on, it also starts to switch itself off. That is health. It's when the immune system switches on and it keeps on reactivating itself so it can't switch off that we see disease disease and so insulin resistance is one of the mechanisms by which the immune system keeps itself switched on so in health conditions like autoimmunity like pcos even skin conditions um uh, acne, eczema, psoriasis, any of these inflammatory conditions, by withdrawing the fuel source of the immune system, we can bring the immune system back under control. And there's been a lot of research now to show also the benefit of mental health conditions like multiple sclerosis, Alzheimer's disease, a lot of pain syndromes, fibromyalgia. And so that's the other thing to say. The pain that I was experiencing before is now just completely gone. So from a health perspective and a disease condition, it's about starving the immune system for energy 
so that we can bring the immune system back under control. For somebody who is an athlete, it can have some performance enhancing benefits. Uh, to be honest, this isn't an area I've done too much research into because I've been much more concerned about the disease processes. But there is some research to suggest that it may be performance enhancing. It may have some benefits in terms of controlling inflammation, so to help with recovery and repair. Maybe you've heard in the past about people who run the marathon and they hit the wall. And when people hit the wall, it's because they've run out of their glycogen stores and they, haven't, they, they don't have that ability to tap into what else is there. So when people hit the wall, that's a metabolic flexibility issue. So in terms of somebody like, you know, if, we, if I knew someone who was running a marathon, <laughs> I would just say, get curious. Like if this is something that's piqued your interest, I would get curious. Um, it, it, when you're in training, it's a good opportunity to play around with things. If someone was too close to their event, it's not the right time to play around with it. But I would also say it's a commitment because just personally at the moment where we live in Bournemouth, there's not as much choice as there is in London. So like if we go out to a restaurant, yeah, I can probably order something off of the menu. Will I enjoy it? No, I can probably make something nicer at home where I can put all the ingredients that I want and I need onto a plate and just make a delicious plate of food. And it's also like if you're social, if you like to go out, if you like to drink alcohol, if you like to have treats and sweets and cakes and desserts and bread and butter with a meal, if you eat in a restaurant, all of these things can get in the way. So for me, there's a huge inspirational pull because I want to feel well again. I want to be able to go for a run on the beach and not break myself in doing so. But for someone who's well, wanting to use this approach, there has to be, I think, a very strong emotional pull, which is creating the motivation for them to take, make those choices to say no when there's the extra sugar or the piece of cake or whatever it might be. And is it something that you need to commit to say like, okay, I'm going to try this for three weeks, or is it something that you can do in a week? You can say, right, on Thursday and Friday, I'm going to try and eat like this and see how I feel. Or is that not enough time to harness the, A, the results, or are you just disrupting everything by not giving it a long enough process time to be able to switch over? So it can take a few weeks to adapt. And I would say anything between two and six weeks just to maybe start to see some progress. The, you know, the best way anybody would know is by measuring blood ketones, measuring blood sugar, and checking that they are actually in ketosis. So you kind of don't really want to dip in and out of things. But for anybody who wants to have elements of this, the whole purpose of the diet is that it mimics fasting. So we can get the health benefits of fasting, but still we are still able to eat. And so that might be for someone else. It's okay, maybe I'm just going to have a fasted day, maybe do some fasting today and just have a, a coffee with cream in it and just see how, how long I can fast for. Or maybe um, I'm just going to have a higher fat, lower carb day. I don't know of any reason why that would necessarily be detrimental. I don't know how big a benefit it would have either, but anything that we can do to, you know, create metabolic flexibility, creates health. Yeah. And I think even, you know, if you're saying oh, it doesn't, you don't really know if there's a benefit to it, but I think that the benefit in doing something like that can come from just the mere fact of you taking the time to observe your diet and you're taking the time to tune in instead of just unconsciously 
going on routine and okay, I'm having this, I'm having this because this is what I eat and I grab, go to the store and grab this. Like you're actually more conscious about, okay, what is the, like, what is the um, components of this meal? How much protein is here? How much fat? I mean, maybe you're not in a shop. If you're getting your food from somewhere like a cafe or something, you may not be able to measure it, but you can have a general idea of, okay, this is quite a, a protein dense, or this is quite a high fat and a low carb. Like this is something that I can opt for. So it makes you just a little bit more conscious. I think about the food that you're eating. It can also be good sometimes just for a reset. We we all get into bad habits from time to time. Life happens, holiday happens, people come visit, we go out more, we eat more chocolate. You know, there's many different reasons why people can go down this sort of slippery slope of some less healthy habits creeping in. And I think having these little it's almost just little like reset buttons. If it's something that you enjoy doing, because for me personally, like I like the challenge. So when I'm doing these these longer fasting days, it's it's a game to me. It's just fun, which is, I know I'm weird and not normal, but that's just how life is for me these days. And so like, if you can see it as a fun little challenge and it's something that you want to do versus something that you feel like you have to do, I think that can be quite a positive thing. So in terms of a challenge, how do you, do you make sure that you then maintain the calorie intake that you have in the next meal that you're making? Or do you say, okay, well now I'm just kind of writing that off and start again from beginning? Or how do you manage the, do you take a calorie mac, like a, a calorie intake over your week and then split it up? Or how do you balance that? This longest fast I did recently, I... I ate and then I went to go see my friend and then I went to a yin yoga class and I came back after that. It was about seven o'clock at night and I actually didn't feel like I needed to eat again that day. But then there was part of me that was like, but what if I don't eat enough and then tomorrow I'm really hungry and feel like I need to overcompensate and that was my blood sugar out. So um, I did eat in the end and I, I would say I ate less calories than normal, but not not drastically less, maybe like two or 300 less than normal. But if I was do, if I had done the full 24 hours, which means I would have broken my fast at half past four in the afternoon that day, I think I would have just had one big meal, but a big meal for me is maybe even 800, 900 calories. And, and that would have just been it for one day, but I wouldn't do that daily, at least not now. It has been suggested to me that maybe I play around a little bit with, you know, going up to even 36 or 48 hours. But I think if I was to do that, it wouldn't be something I necessarily did on a weekly basis, maybe even once a month with the, the more 24 style ones on a weekly basis. Yeah, super interesting. And how are you feeling on the, on the whole process? And have you noticed differences in your system and in your blood sugar in terms of um, symptoms? Yeah. So I guess I, because I'm, I'm a data geek, which we've talked about before, I've been making a spreadsheet and I've been keeping, of course you have. <laughs> of course I have. and I've been keeping all my pre meal and after meal blood sugar measurements. And I actually put them all into a spreadsheet in Excel um, last week, Friday, and I did some statistics on them. <laughs> at myself and it's been really great like just to see like the average my average pre and post meal blood sugar readings have been coming down across the past however many weeks I've been doing this my post meal blood sugar was it was just basically just too high two hours after eating so I've been working on bringing that down and it is and it is coming down and it is improving I have also been measuring my blood ketones and that's been quite a fun thing to do, just sort of seeing what meals take me out of ketosis and, and what keeps me in ketosis. So as long as I'm 
eating kind of within that 50 grams of carbohydrate a day. I'm generally in ketosis, but as soon as I have like a piece of cake or um, maybe if I have some, my parents came around for dinner the other evening and we had some, I had some battered fish with um, a little bit of ice cream and some berries afterwards. And that put me out of ketosis, but then it was only for a few hours and then I was back. So I think it's, and this is why I love the data measuring because you're like, okay, yes, it is a commitment to live this lifestyle, but I can also see that if once a week I have a little bit of a treat night or whatever, and then the next day everything is back to normal, that's cool. And as long as the general trend and what I'm working on is improving and I get to where I want to be, that's also cool. So having the data can actually empower you to give you a little bit more flexibility to enjoy the process a little bit more. I love that. Well, Thank you for sharing your journey. Is there anything else that you want to add about the ketogenic diet? You, and maybe you want to recommend the book that you that you oh, have, yeah. that you bought. So the book that I bought, um, I actually don't have the author, but I'll put it in the show notes. It's um, it's vegan keto. So if you were to go on Amazon and just Google vegan keto, that would be the book. It was very interesting because it's quite controversial on social media. There was this major influencer with the gazillion followers who had the a, medical medium. No, so it's someone else. Um, oh, okay, okay. But it's, it's no, no. I, I don't think he would do this. But um, this guy was holding this book with like a big, like disgusted face, and then you know everybody was co- like commenting, like slating the styles and stuff. And I had literally bought the book that week, and I had been reading it, and I just thought I was, oh, this is just like a really nice book. This book makes me happy. Like, <laughs> you know. Oh, I know who it was. I know the influencer. It's James Smith. I don't, you mustn't slate people on our show. I'm not slating him. I'm just saying that I saw that. I saw him do the book. Okay. So everybody, it was James Smith. <laughs> He's hilarious um, though. I do find him quite entertaining. Yeah, but but this is the thing. It's like, it's he was kind of like really like slating this diet and, and actually this diet, okay, plus a little bit of eggs and a little bit of fish has really, really helped me. And um, yes, like different strokes for different folks. I always really believe in personalization and we need to apply things when when it's right for the individual and the way that it's right for the individual. And so I just wanted to like, let people know that like just be conscious of that what those big influences are putting out there because if it doesn't feel true to you maybe dig a little bit deeper and get some different perspectives or get some more information but anyway really really great book and i've been using some of the baking recipes and i've never been one of those like low carb bakers or paleo bakers i've always thought that was a bunch of rubbish but i've used some of the recipes there's a tahini muffin recipe which i've used which is basically just like tahini, flax seeds, some psyllium husks, uh, sea salt and water. And that's really delicious. So sometimes I have that toasted for breakfast with some scrambled eggs and my greens. And there's also a seed loaf, which I made this week as well, which is just like lots of seeds, chia seeds, sunflower seeds, flax seeds, psyllium husk, tahini, and just some sea salt. And I put some herb salt in as well, just to add some flavor and just really, really nice. Often people will miss things like bread and muffins when they're on this type of approach. So, you know, I think these foods can sometimes be dangerous because we can eat too much of them because they taste really good. But if you, if you do need that little bit of comfort, there are two nice recipes in the book, but there's quite a few other recipes as well. I also just wanted to add that if anybody was thinking of doing this approach, I also do think that 
yes, you can buy a book. Yes, you can follow, you know, listen to what's said on this podcast, listen to what's said on other podcasts. But even I have found it really helpful having someone coach me through the process because it can be really helpful to have someone who's outside looking in who can see if it's appropriate for you. Because if there's any adrenal dysfunction, if your adrenal glands are a little bit exhausted and your body's not able to access its stored fuels as a result, you might need to work on stress management and lifestyle, getting your sleep under control, getting your digestion working better, managing stress before you move into this, because it is quite an extreme approach that can put more stress on the body if there's other things which are already out of whack. If you are an athlete, specifically a strength athlete as well, which is a glycolytic sport, you would probably want somebody who can help you find the right balance between getting what you need for your workouts and then also helping with the, these other health pieces. Thyroid as well. There's some research to suggest that low-carb diets can impact thyroid. That's From what I understand, that can be more so when there's, it's a low-carb and low-calorie diet. So doing the ketogenic approach, but just making sure calories are adequate may be helpful. Continuing to keep on track of thyroid data just to make sure nothing is um, declining would also be good. And then you may need someone to help monitor that for you. And also women with sex hormone imbalances. Again, I think that that's more of a calorie and stress issue than it is necessarily a carb issue. But you want someone to, who, who can look at your case and really help you work through all of this in the best way possible. Because I haven't just I haven't been doing this alone and I haven't just been doing this with food alone. I'd like if, if I was to show you, Shay, like all the different supplements, I've just got like pots all over my house. I'm like, I'll take some of these. I'll take some of these. I haven't one today yet. I'll take some of that. So I'm, I've used quite an intense supplement regime in the past six weeks as well, but that I'm actually starting to titrate down now. So it's kind of like short-term wham. And now I'm starting to pull back on the supplements and just letting my body do the stuff. Well, thank you for all your insights and your knowledge and your sharing your journey with us. Yeah. And I just want to say like, I, I'm so in love with what I'm doing. And if anybody does want like some help, I've already had a few old clients actually reach out to me and say, they're really curious about this. They want to learn how to do proper fasting and will I help them with it? Um, and I'm like, yeah, because I just feel so excited by it. So um, if anybody wants a little bit of help with all of this, um, do reach out to me and we'll see what I can do. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Anna. And to everybody listening, we will see you again next week. See you soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Kombucha and Color. If you have enjoyed or been inspired by our conversations today, please leave a five-star review on Stitcher or iTunes. Don't forget to share with friends and family. This will help other women find inspiration to live life bright. We'd love to connect with you on social media. Come find me, Shay, by searching Shay Dyer Yoga on Facebook or Instagram. You can find me, Anna, by searching Anna Marsh on Facebook or Instagram. And remember, you can always refer to the links in the show notes. See you next week. Hi, it's Anna. Ever since I was a child, I wanted to study the power that food can have on our health. When I started practicing as a nutritional therapist a decade ago, I realized that what is just as important is the relationship that we have with food. This is very often a mirror for the relationship we have with ourselves. 
Through my own personal journey and health challenges, I was forced to dig deeper and understand things that go beyond just our physical bodies. I learned the importance of working with the whole person to create a balanced body, mind, heart, and soul. I'm now passionate about using my diverse toolbox to help women slow down, take better care of themselves, and ultimately cultivate a life which is a reflection of self-love. If you feel like this is speaking to you, I created a 43-page guide, Nine Steps to Love, Nourish, and Connect with Your Body to Create an Energized Life with a Happy Heart and Soul. You can download it for free and join my Grounded Goddess community for even more inspiration by visiting groundedgoddess.co.uk forward slash nine, the number, hyphen steps. That's groundedgoddess.co.uk forward slash nine, the number, hyphen steps, S-T-E-P-S. I'm looking forward to seeing you in the community.